Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Southworth. Matthew is an artist, writer, and musician. Matthew has illustrated projects such as Stumptown, a modern noir series written by Greg Rucka, Spider-Girl, Spider-Man, and Thunderbolts, all published by Marvel Comics, uh, X-Files, published by IDW, and several stories for Dark Horse Comics, uh, all of which he also wrote, uh, among other things. So what's going on, Matthew? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you on the show. Tell us where you are in the world. I know we discussed it briefly before the show. Yeah, I'm in uh, Everett slash Muckleteo, Washington. I, it's a town about 30 minutes north of Seattle, um, kind of looking out over the ocean and some islands. And have you always been located there or were you, I know, obviously you've done a lot of illustration, a lot of different things, which we can get into. Um have you been hopping around? Have you always been there? Like, how does location fit into what you've been doing? Uh, no, I've I've kind of lived all over the U.S. Um, I grew up in Nashville and lived there until I was 19 or so, and then I uh, went to school in Kentucky. Uh, lived in Louisville for a little while. Then I went to grad school in Pittsburgh. Lived there for a while. Then I lived in L.A. for five years, and then moved here about. Uh, I guess 16 years ago. So I've been here a long time now, uh, but I still, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. So I sort of still feel like I'm kind of, you know, jumping around all the time. And how does this location compare to say in LA or another, you know, a Nashville? Um, well, it's, it's the nicest place I've ever lived. Seattle's an extremely beautiful city. When it's not raining, um, it's it's gorgeous. You know, it's like a garden that's been watered excessively. And so when the sun comes out, it's beautiful. Um, and like right now, today, for example, it's really sunny. There's there's a lot of kind of fluffy clouds in the sky, but it's it's very sunny. Uh, but the rainy season's about to kick in any minute now. So, um, but. Besides that, you know, the city is is surrounded by snow-capped mountains on both sides. And like I say, the ocean, I can see the ocean right outside my window and islands. You know, and of course, in Nashville, you didn't have any of that. In Nashville, you've, you've got kind of beautiful hills and humidity. And then in L.A., which I liked a lot for a long time, eventually I kind of got worn out on L.A., but... Um, in LA, you have the ocean and you have the warmth, but that's all you have. You know, it's it's tedious after a while. You know, there's a there's a psychological aspect to that too. Like when I lived in LA, you know, five years passes, and you don't really realize it because since the seasons don't really change, if you grew up in a place where the seasons do change, that's your sort of internal, you know, sunrise sunset clock so if you're in a place where it feels like the sun never rises and never sets you just it just all feels like one big you know day to kind of extend and torture the metaphor um sounds a bit exhausting actually it is it's um you know one of the best things about tennessee is that the weather there is extremely volatile um 
it rains, generally speaking, it rains at least once a week. And they're like serious, sudden, violent, sometimes thunderstorms. Um, and then, you know, and then that passes and the sun comes out and it's cold in the winter and it's hot as hell in the summer. And, and so it's very dramatic. Um, in L.A., the weather is never dramatic unless it gets really hot. Uh, and up here, the weather is pretty mild. It doesn't get very cold. It rarely snows. In fact, it snowed more in Nashville than it does here. And uh, so I, this is sort of a, a long monologue on, on weather. But <laughs> it does kind of influence how you look at things. Like I think part of my personality is forged about being kind of obsessed with the weather anyway. Um, you know, loving snow, for example, because you get out of school when the snow comes. Um, and the weather is much more, you know, kind of violent, uh, in the other places I've lived before LA and Seattle. And where you are now, you mentioned there's a lot of rain, uh, yeah. rain, obviously very brooding writers, artists, uh, are thought to kind of thrive in these brooding environments. Is that when this rain hits, are you going to be excited are you going to kind of buckle down and just you know hit hit the whatever you're going to working on or are you going to be super bummed um well this is a this is an odd uh odd time for that because as i mentioned in this sort of the before we started rolling i've started walking a lot and in an effort to just not turn into a complete physical pile of you know flesh and sweat um so I am going to be bummed when it starts to get cold and wet because the walks will be less fun. Um, but that said, I mean, I was really, I had to go home and stay with my mom for five weeks because of uh, some health stuff she had. Um, and so I was walking there in, you know, 100% humidity and 92 degree weather every day. So if I could do that, I can walk in the rain, you know. You know, a more, a more direct answer to your question, though, is <laughs> yes, to some degree, uh, it, you know, it does focus you a bit because in the same way that you, at least I, like, I think better in the dark. Like if I turn the lights off or, or just have sort of subdued light, it kind of, you know, tones down the color of all the distractions. When it gets like that with the weather here, that definitely does happen. You start to focus, maybe get a little grumpier, but there's more to, you know, it's more to explore than when everything's great and beautiful. And do you think that that environment transitioning onto music is maybe responsible for, I mean, Washington, that whole area known for grunge music, do you think that was a big inspiration for that or? Um. Well, that all kind of happened before I got here. I moved to 2002, <laughs> and 2002 was kind of the last couple of years, probably 2005 or 2006, was when everything really changed post-grunge. Post right. Uh, uh, you know, real estate went insane, um, and everything, everything changed culturally in Seattle around that. But... From what I'm told from a lot of people I know that were here, that were musicians during all that time, and from just 
sort of anecdotal things I've seen in documentaries and so forth. They do sort of say that, that like, you know, Seattle was sort of a boring backwater town in the rain. And so there was nothing to do except, you know, go in somebody's basement and write songs about the rain. So, yeah, that theory holds true to me. It makes sense. And do you feel now, I mean, let's talk about your music. So do you have a particular style? Do you want to walk us through like what the music you are making? Because I would love to get into, we talked about making this an episode about how to write music, because obviously we want to talk about writing. Um, Tell us about your music, and then we can kind of dive into the process and all that. Okay. Um, It's it's somewhat difficult to describe. Uh, I think every musician sort of says that though. Like, don't put me in a box, man. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, when I was really actively doing it, I had a band called the capillaries, uh, for a little over a decade and we were pretty, uh, active. And when that was really going, we were sort of like a noisier kind of Elvis Costello, you know, pretty, pretty literate, verbal lyrics I mean all lyrics are verbal but these were particularly verbal um, and uh, you know a lot of kind of sort of introspective but noisy at the same time that was kind of what we were doing um, the stuff that I'm writing nowadays is maybe somewhat less uh, less noisy in that sense, but I'm becoming more interested in other kinds of noises, you know, not just guitars and cymbals and drums competing for attention, but stranger sounds and, and things that are maybe a little more, uh, a little more what you might imagine in the rainy weather, you know? And are you at this point, singer songwriter status or are you, do you still have a band or where are you at right now? Yeah, I don't have a band anymore. Um, the the band in the 10 or so years the band started in los angeles and then when i moved here i was the only member of the band that moved here but i kind of restarted it here but in the 10 or so years that we were together we had 19 members oh wow Uh, so it was pretty i don't know what that says about me but uh but yeah so anyway the main constant through most of that was my drummer john who I adored and who was a particularly rare kind of drummer. And about 10 years ago now, eight between eight and 10 years ago now, he moved away uh, because of all kinds of hassles with the housing crisis. He wound up moving to New Jersey. And when he moved, the band kind of went to sleep right around the same time that my comics career got more intensive. So since that time, I've only been writing and recording by myself. And I play a number of instruments competently, if not that well, so I can kind of get away with it. You know, periodically I'll sort of do, you know, live things as a singer songwriter, just me and a guitar. And how does the writing process, we can get into the process now, compare uh, from going from like, let's say one instrument to writing vocals. I mean, I'm assuming those two things are very different or are they not? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. I, um, when I started writing, so I've, I've played guitar since I was 13. Uh, but I've been writing songs since before I could play an instrument. Um, so as a kid, I would, I would make up songs. Actually, I can specifically remember, 
when my parents were still married, so this would be before I was eight, because they, they divorced when I was eight, I would run into my room when they were fighting, and I would sort of bury my head under pillows and write songs to myself about how sad I was. And uh, so I would actually write these down. In fact, that's kind of how I started typing because I thought that made them more official if I typed them on my mom's electric typewriter. So uh, obviously, like I say, then that was before I could play guitar. I sort of would just kind of slap a guitar and it would kind of vibrate. And I thought that was playing guitar. I didn't quite understand the mechanics of it when I was really young. Um, eventually, in my when I started the capillaries, um, that also came out of like sort of uh, misery. I'd had a really kind of horrible breakup and was really, really depressed for quite a while. And I started writing songs and recording them on a four track down in my basement. And I noticed that when I did that, uh, like six hours would pass and I wouldn't have obsessed about my relationship problems in that time. So that's actually what sort of got me out of that depression. At that point, I was writing songs that were guitar and vocal songs, but I'd just sort of stick a drum part on them. Just, you know, very, very basic because I could barely play drums at that point. This is a long way of answering that question. But when the band came along, by that time, I was pretty much just taking singer songwriter type songs. Um, and then adapting them for a band. So when I would write a new song, it would still be kind of a singer songwriter exercise in a way. Um, when the band broke up and I moved all the stuff into my house and now I have a drum set in my house, it put a big wrench in my songwriting for a while because I started trying to write songs from the drums up. It would make sense, right? You know, if you're going to build a house, you start with a foundation and then you build on top of it. Right. But what I had been doing before, which makes more sense, although I didn't think of it this way at the time, was I was drawing the plans for the house first and then would put the foundation under it and build the house from there. In this case, I was like, who needs plans, man? I'll just I'll put a foundation on there and flesh it out. It'll be great. Well, most of the time. I wrote just a lot of bad songs that way songs that didn't get finished and like I'm having fun playing drums, but this sucks. Right. So I've had to kind of rescale the way I think, you know, in, uh, in constructing that. That was, like I said, that was a long answer, but I don't know if I <laughs> your question at all. Um, I mean, these things are kind of tough to even break down, right? Um, right. you describe yourself as competent at all the various instruments that you play. Um, is there a right and wrong as to, you know, being formally trained in an instrument or just picking it up and being naturally good at it? And how did you even begin to start, you know, learning yeah. an instrument? Did you just pick it up? Well, for me, yeah, I just sort of sort of learned uh, pretty much the same way that I learned to draw. I took a few art classes when I was a teenager, um, but basically everything that I learned how to do, I just kind of did poorly until I did it less poorly. And that's pretty much the same thing with all the instruments that I play. Like at this point, I'm a good enough drummer that I could play in a band and get away with it and not embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah. 
but that was a lot of kind of, you know, I had to get there. Um, I probably could have gotten there faster if I had said, all right, I'm a drummer now. I'm going to be serious about it. I'm going to take some lessons and I'm going to commit myself to the identity of Matt Southworth drummer. Um, but because of how I was doing it, it was more like, you know, like, could a landscaper take care of your, your yard better than you can? Sure. But you're probably good enough to mow your own grass, right? The first few times you do it, you may not do a particularly great job, but sooner or later you get good enough that it looks fine. Um, and that's, that was my sort of approach to all those things, except for guitar, because as a teenager, I was, I was really, really high strung and, uh, obsessive. I'm still pretty obsessive. I'm not as high strung, uh, which <laughs> comes with its own set of problems. But, uh, then I was really focused on being not only a guitar player, but I wanted to be a great guitar player and so I practiced like mad and I read everything I could and obsessed over guitar magazines and it took me a long time to learn that I wasn't physically capable of playing the way I wanted to play I just didn't have that kind of dexterity um you know like just because you want to be a world-class tennis player doesn't mean you can be you may just have physical limitations um so what ended up happening was I kind of put the guitar down for a while and then forgot about it while I was studying theater. When I came back to it after that, I was a thousand times better because I had sort of shed all the uh, anal anxiety of, uh, of trying to be great and instead started to treat it just sort of like a, like a paintbrush. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to make this tree. And then, you know, I guess, I guess the answer is for some people, I think that you can, you can get a lot from formal training. The way that my brain is wired and the way that I am disciplined slash undisciplined for me, it's, it's better to just sort of try to do the thing that I'm trying to do and then screw it up and then do it again in some slightly different form and just keep doing it. And then one day you got this pile of stuff, you know, you write a hundred songs one year and 95% of them are terrible, but five of them, you know, are, let's say four of them are good. And one of them is great. Well, you wrote one great song that year. So that's not so bad. Uh, that's how I've sort of approached it as a musician. And where does strategy as far as, the context of where these, where the music that you're writing is going to end up fall within how you go about making it, right? So when you go to write a song, are you just, I'm going to wake up today, I'm going to write a song, I'm going to record a song, we're going to see how it goes. Or are you like, I want to put out a project, and this project is going to have three songs on it, and this is going to be the first song. The song is called this, and <laughs> you know, is it that plan because i know especially in the, these days i think a lot of people are maybe even the opposite now where they're we're think they're thinking on the branding they're thinking on the uh the album name and everything before they're even thinking about the music so where do you fall within that spectrum well i've i've done it you know I, that's funny that we're talking about this because i i was 
thinking about this discussion before we before we had it, knowing that we were going to be talking today and like, how would I describe how I do things and blah, blah, blah. And I realized that like, there's no consistency to how I do anything. Like <laughs> that's the consistency. <laughs> yeah. To how I draw a comic book, which, you know, is what I've been doing for a living for 10 years now or longer. Uh, like every time I do it a different way and every time I, I hit some emotional wall where I'm like, you idiot, why didn't you do it this way? And it may be, why don't you do it the way you did four years ago? Or why don't you do it some other way that you've seen this other guy do? Um, in the case of writing music, some of the most uh, satisfying things that I did many years ago before I, before I met my current girlfriend who I've been with for quite a while now, um, I, was, I was broke all the time still broke most of the time, but I was really broke then. So it was her birthday and I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I just decided like less than a week before her birthday, I was like, I'm going to write her an album and record it. So that was idiotic. But what it meant was, uh, I had an audience, like a specific target audience and I had a specific amount of time to do it. I knew that in like five days, something like five days, that I could probably write and record five songs. Uh, and I didn't know what they were going to be about, but I knew that I needed to get on it and get it done now. So I didn't have any time to second guess anything. And uh, a couple of the best things I ever wrote happened in that time. There's at least one of them that's pretty bad, you know, it's kind of dopey, but the sentiment of what I was doing, because I, I, I've never really written like, you know, lovey dovey, I'm so happy to be with you, darling kind of songs, but I was trying to express something, you know, sweet and loving and friendly in this too. So they're, they're kind of sardonic and, uh, you know, they sort of work against themselves in some way. So it made for a pretty cool project. So what I've found is that songs in particular, but, but other things that I've written as well work best when I have kind of a target in mind, but not a target in the sense of like branding more like an audience a specific very specific like person that i'm talking to uh, in fact last night as i was trying to kind of wind down for sleep i was thinking about an old friend who is not a friend anymore we just sort of our friendship kind of fell apart and so i wrote this really kind of nasty mean-spirited song about you know how I can't count on you and I'm not sure I ever could before and blah, 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 blah. The point is not that it's a good song, but that it was an easy thing to write because I knew who I was talking to. Right. You know, in fact, it's probably a crappy song. I haven't really looked at it today because I, you know, I don't know that I, I just haven't looked at it. <laughs> and how often when you look at a song the next day, are you like, that was great versus I'm going to scrap that. I was just getting that out of my system. Well, when I had the band, uh, it was different because we practiced every Wednesday night. And for a while, I set a goal that I was going to bring in a song every week. Um, 
And I would write a lot of songs and I would just sort of sift through them and go, okay, well, this one's pretty good. So I'll take this one in. Lately, because I've been busy working on this project that I'm drawing, I haven't even really looked at the songs I wrote. Um, when I was in Nashville visiting my mom, I wrote five songs one day, which was the first time that had happened in a long time. And I know that four of those songs are good. I could just, I just know that they were. And the other thing that's different though, is the way that I'm writing them now is I dictate them into my phone instead of physically writing them. And that's a different experience too. Um, so I've kind of got them all saved, but I haven't actually looked at them the way I would have to, if it was on a notepad sitting on my desk, I would at least just see that sitting in front of me. But in this case, I just know they're in messages I've sent to myself, you know, you're dictating lyrics or, or uh, yeah, okay. usually just lyrics. Okay. Like I'll use speech to text and okay. send myself a text of, you know, 60 lines of, of text. It's kind of stupid. Um, but sometimes I'll, you know, I'll sing a melody part. Uh, usually what will happen with that is like, if I have a, you know, if I have this kind of cool melody in my head and it goes, ba 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 in my brain, I've also got a drum part with that. So as I'm singing this ba 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 to myself, I'm also hearing the in the back of my head. When I record that though, if I go, okay, well, here I am sitting in traffic, I'm just gonna record ba 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 ba. When I listen back to it, it sounds horrible and like just the rantings of an idiot because I don't have the other parts of my head that made right. it make any sense, you know? So. It's that's a sort of a semi-reliable way to, uh, to do it. I, I remember reading that when Tommy Lee got thrown in jail for, I think, domestic violence, he uh, he would call on his, you know, on the jail phone. He would call and dictate an album worth of songs into his answering machine. Oh wow! Just knowing knowing Tommy Lee's songwriting skill level, that's not a real argument for that being a great way to write. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting solution, creative solution to to recording, though. Um, yeah, yeah. So, how do you record? You you said you record in your car sometimes. So, is that that's on like a voice memo just to get the melody, or you yeah? Know, okay, so you're not actually recording the act, the music that way. What what no, are you using to record? You know, when you're at home. Well, I just have to say as a side note, or in the um, studio, there's, yeah. a, there's a guy named Ben Vaughn who made an album called, I think it's called Rambor 65, uh, which is an entire album of songs recorded in a, a 65 Rambler, including the drums. Oh, wow. He physically put all his instruments inside this car and recorded the whole album. Uh, but I haven't done that and don't intend to. Uh, <laughs> For one thing, I have a Honda Civic, so <laughs> it's not a cool car. Um, I record, like I've got a little studio here at home, um, and I've got sort of several different formats that I can record on. I, I can record digitally into uh, a program called Studio One. I have, <clears throat> I have a 16-track, one-inch tape machine that I can record into. I've got an eight-track, quarter-inch machine. I've got... You know, I, I love gear and I love stuff. So over the years, I've kind of amassed a lot of junk, you know, that I can use. Um, 
And it's it's both impressive and embarrassing because I haven't done so that much recording in quite a while. But I've got all this great stuff just looking at me going, well, use us, man. You know? Yeah. And do you ever record uh, like digitally? electronic drums you ever use those tools to to make music or are you completely organic creating like in the real world and then editing in post yeah it's it's almost totally real world every once in a blue moon i'll mess around with a drum machine or something but i like i like physical things i have a lot of guitars because because i'm a guitar player but also because i like you know, I like things made out of wood that if you smack it, it makes a sound. Like when I when I work digitally, um, for example, I don't really even edit digitally. I just kind of treat my digital recording capability like it's a, you know, like it's a tape recorder. Um, I pretty much just press play and record and then stop. And it's just like it's a tape player. Um so yeah, with the with the creation of of music, it's pretty much all all analog, with rare exceptions. I've tried to kind of learn some of that stuff and work a little more, uh, you know, in the in the present, a little little bit more state of the art. And every time I do, it's a different side of the brain or something that it doesn't engage me in the same way. It's not as satisfying. Unrelated, but how do you choose the words that you uh, that you sing? I was just thinking about it because you were saying that you were dictating it. Because it's a difficult process. Writing lyrics to songs is not the same as just like writing a story, right? It's not like you're just describing a scene. It's there's a little. It's a little bit more poetic. How do you? I've always found it very fascinating how people write song lyrics because they're they're not necessarily um, they don't they don't necessarily make sense. Well. Some of that comes back to that thing about knowing who I'm writing to or who I'm singing to, you know, like, uh, you know, if I'm trying to write something, uh, that's, that's an interesting question to try and answer. Um, I guess it's kind of the same as, you know, as writing prose where, you know, you're looking at a, at a, tree and you're trying to describe the color of the tree and you there are 16 different words for green and uh you go well is it an avocado green avocado is not right olive is that right the good thing about writing songs as opposed to prose though is that there's a series of restrictions that will force you to make choices and sometimes invent things Um, because the melody is sort of imposing a a kind of a rhythm and a, and a, uh, I'll just stick with rhythm because the melody is imposing a kind of rhythm on what you're writing. It will tell you, okay, this needs to be a three syllable word or this needs to be a one syllable word with two other one syllable words, but the accent has to be in the right place or whatever. But, you know, if you're intellectualizing that stuff as you're doing it, in my experience, I'm doing it wrong because I'll get way lost in the weeds of that stuff. Um, but like one time I was writing a song, uh, 
and I came up with the word anniversary, which would be the anniversary of when we broke up. Oh, interesting. It's not a real word, but it fit in the in the line. I was like, anniversary should be a word. <laughs> uh, so you know, so that's kind of how it works for me. I mean, I think it works differently for everybody, but, um, the great stuff is when you write something and you didn't realize that you, that that's what you felt until it kind of pops out of your mouth because of the rhythm kind of making it have to be that. And the rhyme scheme, you know, like that's the other half of it is that often you want to rhyme something. Uh, and so it will force you to make certain choices. That's why there's so many songs about fire and desire and taking me higher, you know, right. and moon and June and all that stuff. Uh, I try not to pick those words. So, you know, so if I can avoid rhyming fire and higher, maybe I can find something, you know, that's a little bit more, evocative and where do you draw the line on completing a record i know that for some musicians it could be challenging to a maybe even start and some and b to to end i know there's a lot of um you know we say writer's block but it's the same thing with um musicians it can be tough to really like put closure on a record how how about yourself do you uh, struggle with the same or yeah that's my Achilles heel. Um, so before the capillaries broke up, we made an out, we, we made and released one album, self-released one album. Um, and then I, I got into my Brian Wilson phase and then made another album that I finished, but I didn't truly finish. Then I dragged it out, you know, and I, it never got finished. It's, it's basically done. I could probably truly finish it in a couple of days. Maybe not a couple days, a week, uh, but it's it's so much in the past now that that would feel strange, and that's been like an ongoing theme in my life of you know starting things and not finishing them, and uh, like I I wrote and directed a movie back when I still lived in L.A. an independent film that was ninety four minutes long. It was a huge uh, you know a huge experience in my life. And I finished it 98%, maybe 99% it was done. But when I was talking about that terrible breakup and the kind of nervous breakdown that was happening, that all kind of happened at the same time, and I never finished it. Um, so to answer the question, though, I've heard that quote that somebody said something like, you know, art is never finished, it's just abandoned, or a painting is never finished. I can't remember that exact details of it that has been true for me everything i've ever finished i just finally went you know get it out of my sight it's done uh or it's as done as it's going to be including a painting i did for somebody's uh wedding gift that i have sitting on my easel right in front of me the wedding was a couple weeks ago <laughs> and, uh, and i've just decided like look man it's done it's just it's just going to be done i don't care if it's good enough or not you know but maybe people put too much pressure on the fact of the completion of something giving a purpose, right? Maybe it's that moment that you spent on it or the fact that you needed to, to tell that story or paint that picture or create that music in the moment, right? So it's not, it's not a yeah. total loss. 
Yeah, I think, you know, like when you asked earlier about, you know, the purpose of what will happen with the music or whatever, um, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever, there was still this kind of desire to be a successful band and to maybe do some touring and to kind of climb the, the ladder. Uh, and of course, you know, in whatever, 2006, the, the ladder was really changing. Uh, in fact, they were, they were removing rungs from the ladder and gradually setting fire to the ladder. Um, I don't have that anymore with music at all. Like I'm now I'm in this stage where it's about making a thing more than it is about anybody hearing the thing I made. And that's good from a sort of a personal satisfaction level. It's bad from a getting things done. Right. There's, there's, there's definitely something to that whole, you know, starving artist thing and like needing to, needing to put food on the table. Um, not that I was ever putting a lot of food on the table as a musician, but you know, now I'm instead of working as an apartment manager and hating that job and, uh, wanting to get out. Now I'm living in this cool house and looking at the islands and the ocean, you know, it's sort of, I can't say that I'm comfortable. I don't think I've ever been comfortable just emotionally, but I'm, I'm not, feeling that desperation of like most of the time I'm not feeling that desperation of like, God, I hope I don't get fired from this job or in this case, this relationship, <laughs> you know? And would you say, uh, you know, you say that you have trouble finishing things, but you're obviously very accomplished in, in your illustration work, it, you know, has, is very accomplished. You work for Marvel. Would you say that having accomplished that and now, you know, working in music allows you to say, you know what? I've already done a lot here. I can kind of do my own thing and really just enjoy this. I've, you know, or is it completely unrelated? Well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I guess I'm sort of bipolar in that, in that regard, because on the one hand, I have done a lot of things and I've, I've lived a pretty interesting life in some ways. I mean, I was never a, you know, a drug smuggler, smuggler or a CIA agent, but I, um, but I worked in the film industry. I worked in music, you know, I'm in the comics business now. And, you know, I worked in the theater. Like I've, I've kind of done something in all these areas that I really care about. I've never written a novel. Um, and I'm actually scared to write a novel, but I want to, but I'm scared to start a novel that I won't finish is the issue. Right. Um, so what I'm kind of getting at is I don't really feel like I've accomplished as much as, as I need to, to feel that sense of like, Hey man, I'm just going to enjoy this. On the other hand, what that's created is a sense of like, you know, well, I'm 47. My dad died when he was 48. I don't, he was, he was an alcoholic and, uh, a smoker and just was not a healthy man. I'm not an alcoholic and I don't smoke. So I don't think I'm going to die at 48, but it created some kind of sense in me that like, yeah, but you could die at 48. Uh, so when I'm thinking about like what I'm going to do today, assuming I don't have, you know, deadline pressures or something, and I kind of always do have a deadline pressure, but, 
when I'm doing a painting, there is a part of me that goes, look, I'm not trying to be a world-class painter. I just want to paint. Um, and if it turns out great, it does. Fantastic. And if it looks like crap, don't show it to anybody and make another one. And there's a part of me that's a little uh, pessimistic about it, I guess, I guess in a way, that like when I do die, there will be this pile of cool shit that I did, you know, a bunch of songs that I recorded and some paintings and some drawings and, you know, scripts that I wrote. And I kind of feel like that's a good way to live your life. Um, you know, I have, I have, okay. So my bass player died at 43. He, his name was Aaron Huffman and he had cystic fibrosis all his life and was apparently not expected to live past 18. Uh, and he lived to be 23, uh, 43. And uh, he died somewhere around three years ago having a little trouble keeping track of time lately. But when I looked at Aaron's life and I was at his, his wake or his memorial, um, you know, I was thinking like, man, he was supposed to not live to be live past 18. And he got to be in a rock band. He was the bass player in that band, Harvey danger. That was Aaron. Um, he got to be in that band. He was the art director at the stranger, which is our kind of, local village voice equivalent except that we're still we still have the stranger for the moment uh he got married to someone who adored him and he had a kid and of course it's horrible that he died at 43 but i kept like looking at that going yeah but like he won he got he got all this great stuff out of it you know this all these great experiences so it's not i don't want to you know over uh dramatize like the effect of Aaron's death on me. Um, of course it was dramatic, but that's his story. That's not my story. But when I look at it as an object lesson in some ways, I go, yeah, like would his life have been better if he had, you know, if he had joined U2 instead of Harvey danger, you know, if he had had gazillions of albums and toured like a madman and made tons and tons of money, I don't, that's not likely going to happen for me in whatever form that we're talking about. I'm probably not going to write a book that sells 20 million copies. Um, so I just kind of somewhere along the way, I stopped chasing those things as any kind of uh, measurement of achievement. And then it just became about, no, I'm just going to do this painting because I like painting, or I'm just going to make this song because I like making songs. Um, which again, like I said, you know, has its own issues with how it affects finishing things and producing things. I don't even remember what the question was, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, I had some questions in mind, but I think once we've gotten to this level with like, you know, the, the value that, you know, your, your art and the, the, I guess the accumulation of um, the art that you leave in the world. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think it's worth going back. <laughs> um you know definitely wanted to get in a little bit uh to how you even got into the the, the comic stuff because i know that's something a lot of people would be interested in how does that you know given your does that mean that you changed 
as a person? Because obviously, I assume going into working for Marvel and that kind of thing, at that time, did you think differently? Um, uh, well, I have to to <laughs> I have to find a way to drag out my answer to it. <laughs> So I'll have to back up slightly. Um, so here's the trajectory. In high school, I was an obsessive guitar player, but I also drew a lot. I very, very nearly went to art college in Memphis, but decided instead to go to theater school. And at that point, I thought I wanted to be an actor. I'm a, I'm a film obsessive. So I, I went to this small school in Kentucky, Western, Western Kentucky University. And uh, acted in a bunch of plays and directed some plays and so forth. And then moved from there. I followed my girlfriend at the time. She moved back to Louisville, which is a couple hours north of Bowling Green, where Western is. Since I was going to Louisville, I got basically an internship at Actors Theater of Louisville. Actors Theater was the premier producer of new plays in America. And I was working in the literary department and I wrote some short plays there. They had a thing called the national 10 minute play contest, which was these small plays. So while I was there, I wound up through complicated, I won't even tell you the whole story. It's too long, but I wound up going to graduate school for playwriting, which was not my initial intent. In fact, I got into grad school having only written maybe 40 pages of plays, you know, like less than a full length play for sure. And, uh, but the, the guy that ran the program said he had a feeling about me that working there led me to an internship that kind of blossomed into something more, uh, with Tom Cruise's company at Paramount, which was called Cruz Wagner. Paula Wagner, his partner, had gone to Carnegie Mellon where I was going to school for playwriting. So I went there. So it was like a, a series of sort of accidents that bumped me into these these places. So here I am working at Paramount, you know, and at that point in the mid to late nineties, Tom Cruise was the very top of the, you know, the movie star food chain. So I was like I was right in the middle of that, like, and then making my own movie on weekends for no money. And then having this kind of collapse when my relationship broke up and when I was working on the movie and worked myself to the point of exhaustion. So that's all the preamble to say when I left LA and just was here writing songs and working in, uh, working as an apartment manager, I kind of slowly moved into doing comics professionally. My oldest friend is this this comics writer named Joe Casey. Uh, and, you know, when I was still in L.A. and still writing screenplays, I would do that stuff. And, you know, you'd like sort of pass them around. Nobody would read them. And I would look at Joe and he'd write something. And two or three months later, it was on the stands. And I was like well, that's the way to do it. Instead of begging somebody to produce your movie, go work in the comics business. Don't make much money, but all your quote unquote movies get made. And uh, so my intention was to be a writer. But Joe and I had made comics when we were kids and I was the artist then. 
And he sort of gently nudged me into getting into the business as an artist, not as a writer, because it was easier to kind of get in the door that way. So when I started working regularly in comics, uh, I thought that I wanted to draw superhero comics for Marvel. And I had kind of an entryway with this guy, Stefano, that I was working with. He was the regular anchor on Daredevil, and I started assisting him. And then he would get jobs that he couldn't finish alone. So then I would start to get credit on them. And then, you know, it was very much like an apprenticeship in the, the old world cobbler sense. But pretty, pretty soon into that, I, I found that the satisfaction level of working on stuff, working on mainstream comics was not as great for me as working on indie comics. Unfortunately, the indie comics I was working on, like Stumptown, which were very satisfying, paid so little that I had to take any job I could along the way, which made the comics take forever to, to come out. Because I was making so little, I, I needed to do other things to make uh, rent. So it's not it's not exactly like it was a change, you know, like a switch flipped, but it was more just of an of an evolution and a learning process. That the more of this stuff that I did, and I would still enjoy working for Marvel or DC. I did a, a little bit of work for DC early in my career. Both those companies treated me very nicely. They were they were nothing but kind. They paid well. You didn't have to chase them for your money. In most cases, they completely left left me alone to do it my way. You know, there was uh, there was not a lot of sort of editorial interference or push and pull. So those the experiences were good. But in the end, like if you're drawing Spider Man and you're hit by a car and killed, of course people will will be sad you're gone, but Spider-Man will still go on, and you'll be forgotten. Um, at the time when I was doing Stumptown, it was just basically just me and Greg, Greg Rucka, who created the, the story before I even came along. Uh, and so, like, that was our thing. We could... We could wave it as our flag, let's say. I found that that feeling of ownership was more important to me than I thought. And that as long as I could pay the bills, that if I had my choice between drawing Spider-Man or drawing, you know, um, I've got a story that I've been poking at for years set in Pittsburgh in 1933. If I could draw which is called Day for Night. If I could draw Day for Night or I could draw Spider-Man, I'd rather draw Day for Night. So, again, like the, I guess the point is I found that the satisfaction and the sense of personal investment was worth more to me than, uh, than the visibility of the stage in which I was doing it, on which I was doing it. And if you had to say one sentence... Uh, of advice for aspiring writers, whether they be comic book writers or you know novelists or filmmakers or music writers, what would you say to them, given all that? Um, well, I don't think I'm in any position to give advice, but I would say that 
I guess I would say this, and maybe someone might take it as advice. For me, the most valuable things as a musician or as a graphic artist or as a writer, any of that stuff, is when I wrote something or drew something and I meant it. Um, the job and the pay that you get are not the goal. They're the, they're the almost, uh, they're the byproduct of what you do. You're being paid to do something meaningful or not being paid to do something meaningful, whatever it is. So if you're not going to get paid, you might as well do something meaningful instead of bullshitting. And if you are getting paid, when you do do something meaningful, the people that read it will respond to it in such a way that you, you develop fans, you know, and the fans that you find, they become more like friends. So to put that in a simple, you know, one sentence form, I guess, is to say, like, do it like you mean it, because if you don't, you're wasting your life. God, that sounds that sounds a little. It's great. Um, is there a project that you're working on now, whether it be music or are you still illustrating? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, that's pretty much all I'm doing lately. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I I guess that's not entirely true. I wrote a song last night, but the thing that I'm spending most of my time doing is drawing this book uh, that I'm doing with. A novelist. Um, so this novelist, Garth Stein, uh, he wrote a book called uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which was a bestseller and was a big book. And he wanted to make a graphic novel out of this other project that he had written as a novel and felt didn't work as a novel. And so he, through a series of, you know, meetings, he wound up meeting me and he lives in Seattle and we started working on it. and the scope of this project keeps expanding partially because of him, partially because of me. But at the moment it's looking like it's two, two books of 125 ish pages a piece. Uh, and then there are more that we sort of discussed, discussed the idea of, but that's my kind of full-time job right now is drawing that I'm drawing page 94 today. Oh, wow. So we're closing in on the, on the finish of book one pretty soon. Um, but it's taking much longer than expected. There've been a lot of road bumps or, or bumps in the road, but yeah, the, the, the answer to that is yes, I'm drawing all the time. Um, I play guitar pretty constantly still too, but, uh, I haven't recorded a full project, like a full song project in a while. And it's, kind of gnawing at me i'm ready to do it i just haven't had the time so what should we look forward to or not look forward to in regards to that should we just uh, stay tuned on that or yeah well uh you know obviously there's the ways of getting in touch or you know through twitter and facebook and all that and my website which is matthewsouthworth.net but this book which is called the cloven like cloven hooves um that first book uh Garth is kind of handling the shopping around of that and so forth. He's he's involved with all that as I just kind of try to crank out the pages. We haven't 
aggressively gone to that stage yet because we've just been sort of seeing what's going to happen with the first volume. Uh, but like I say, it'll be finished being drawn before November. So I would imagine that that'll be out by summer, you know, I guess. I don't know. It'll be soonish. And I'm thinking about doing some like small pieces here and there. Uh, I'd like to do this mini comic project that I would write that would be somewhere around 20 pages long. Uh, and that if I get the time, I'm going to try to do that before this convention that I'm doing in early November in California. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a vague answer, but at the very least I'll have the book coming out in the next year and, uh, maybe some other smaller bite-sized projects here and there too. Cool, man. Well, we'll have to get you back on when the, when the book is, uh, book is ready to rock um yeah but in, be great until then let's uh let's keep in touch had a lot of fun and definitely like it's super interesting to hear the insights on the music side cool to hear that side of the industry and uh kind of see it all tie together so thanks for uh taking the time man great yeah well thank you it's fun all right and thank you to our listeners we hope to see you next week Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.